0: The book of Hebrews is one of the most challenging, substantial books in the New Testament. There are a few things that we think are helpful to keep in mind as we engage with the author's message. First, while we don't know for sure who wrote it, we learned early that he had a firsthand relationship with Jesus' disciples. So the author's message is based on Jesus' teachings. Second, even though we don't know exactly who he is writing to The intense and deep connection to Old Testament stories about Abraham and Moses and the discussion of covenants and roles of priests and sacrifices suggests that the original audience had a working knowledge of Jewish customs and beliefs. Moreover, the content of the letter suggests that they had left these old ways behind to follow Jesus. Third, as a result of following Jesus, they faced social pressure and hostility from their Jewish community, and also found themselves outside of the broader community and culture. In a collectivist society, being isolated in and alone or in a small group without much support put them in a vulnerable position. Facing intense pressure, many of them were starting to revert back to their Jewish practices and traditions. Some had already abandoned Jesus completely while others were drifting in that direction. More than a letter, the author writes a sermon that bounces back and forth between explaining certain ideas and encouraging those reading to keep going, to keep following Jesus. The encouragement takes different forms, including some intense and scary warnings. But through it all, the author reminds them and us that Jesus is superior in every way and worth following. It is a clear and compelling vision for following Jesus that we're excited to explore with you in this series.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be here today. Thank you for joining in and being a part of this series. I know that Hebrews is one of those unique books of the Bible, it's really dense, and there's so much in there, and we're trying to cover these really wide swaths all at once, and so, but I'm looking forward to being a part of that and uh, teaching this morning. You know, sometimes I'll just give you a little clue, so sometimes we like, I like to share a little story, maybe a little, even a little joke, and, um, you know, to kind of connect with you, everybody in the room, right? And so uh, I did that in Grundy last time I taught, and there were just crickets, Okay, so I'm going to spare you that right now, <coughs> but the only joke that I can share this morning is my bracket. I mean, it is, it is bad, and you know, to kind of add insult to injury, here's the deal. My wife, she picked by like things like, oh, well, that team has the letter T in it, and she's just killing me, right? So Texas and Tennessee, she's got, and she, anyway, so... I want us to jump in. Uh, I want us to consider a couple of things. Two visions of life, okay? First vision, life without God. Imagine that, right? And then the other vision is life with God. Now with each of those comes some, some challenges. In fact, I would say life without God comes with a warning. Here's a warning. In fact, it comes from a quote that I ran into from Bertrand Russell, and he is a famous author and atheist, and he says this, amazingly, unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Think about that, that an atheist is saying this. So life without God, but the warning is, really life without God is ultimately meaningless, in the words of an atheist, philosopher. Then you've got the other vision of life, and that is life with God. (laughs) I think life with God comes with a challenge. The challenge is this, that I am not God, a recognition that I am to submit to God, that I need to surrender, if you will. So listen to these words uh, from Rick Warren, who wrote in The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, He said this, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. So here we have these two visions of life, one without God, one with God. And so we enter into the book of Hebrews. I think if I were to drill down and say, what is the simple message of Hebrews? It's this there's these two visions. You can live life without Jesus, or in pursuit of lesser things than Jesus, but beware. Or you can choose to live life with Jesus, so hold fast cling to him. But it also comes with a challenge that I need to surrender, I need to submit to him. The consequences of your choice to live with Jesus or without Jesus are great. In fact, your consequences, as the writer of Hebrews would say, to live without Christ are, are these. You will never enter his rest You will not know his compassion, forgiveness, or grace. You will not experience Christ's fulfillment of the requirements of the law and his new covenant. Therefore, you not know or experience his saving work. It's huge. Which is why I think in Hebrews 3, verse 7, he simply says this. As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. So, the question is, why do I think Hebrews is so important for us today? Well, life apart from Christ, in the words of Bertrand Russell, is meaningless. But I also need to remember that I am not the central figure and focal point of my life. And I think in this cultural moment, our greatest challenge may be to refuse to believe that my personal happiness, my self-actualization, whether it's through my career or through the accumulation of wealth or through pleasure or through what? A hundred different things, right, we pursue. That is not the ultimate goal of life. That's not the ultimate goal. In fact, in the writer of Hebrews would say, it is to know that your best life is actually found in Jesus, with Jesus, clinging to Jesus. So I want to explore that. Why? Why is it so important that we cling to Jesus? I want to look at three verses out of Hebrews chapter 4. I want to unpack unpack those together. But Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven... So why? Why should we cling to Jesus? Well, because the writer of Hebrews says this, he is our great high priest, or I will say superior high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the son of God. Each of those phrases is actually sort of weight that kind of helps him and us understand the greatness of this high priest that we have. Now, it does help to know, what in the world is a high priest? And what is that? Well, in the very next paragraph in Hebrews chapter five, he explains it. He says this is what a high priest is. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. So what is a high priest? The high priest is this, one who is chosen from among God's people, one who is also called by God, kind of called out, but one who represents God to the people, but also the people to God. He goes before God and represents them. Now, so what does this high priest do? Well, there was one particular day in the Jewish sort of faith that was very important, where it was only the high priest who could actually represent God's people before God on the Day of Atonement. And so what would he do? The, the, The high priest would actually make sacrifices first for himself, he would like... Uh, atoned for his own sins, but then he'd pass through the outer courts, into the temple, into this place called the the Holy of Holies. Right? It was the most important place because they believed that that's where God's presence was. And it was only the high priest that was allowed to go there. One day a year. And he was all dressed up in particular garb. In fact, they they tied a rope to his ankle. So in case God would show up in a way... uh, They they could pull him out, literally, it's crazy. But in that Holy of Holies, it was covered with this veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant, that's where the tablets were held, and on the, the cover of the Ark, that was called the mercy seat of God. And it was there that the high priest made sacrifice. Now, so what is the point that the Hebrews writer is trying to say, we have a great high priest, who has ascended into heaven. In other words, he's passed through the heavens. He's gone past the the outer courts, in through the temple, past the veil, all the way up straight to heaven. He didn't waste time there. He's Jesus. He passed through the heavens. In fact, uh, one scholar said this. Just as a Jewish priest passed from the altar through the outer court and then through the holy place to the holy of holies beyond the veil so Christ also has passed from view. It was not a momentary passing through some earthly chambers, but an ascension through the heavenly regions to the actual throne room of God. Hence his present absence from our view, is no disadvantage as compared to the Jewish priests, but is due to the fact that he is actually performing for us what Aaron could accomplish only in the midst of limited and largely symbolic way. In other words, Jesus went straight to God, and he's there not just one day, but 24-7. He ascended into heaven to be our advocate, to be our mediator, to be the one to whom we can go directly to. He is great. He is superior. And not only that, he has a name, and his name is who? Jesus. His name is Jesus, which is a reminder that he lived among us that he came to be with us. In fact, I think it reveals the very heart of God, this verse, this idea that he came to be with us, and he lived a life, and he died a death on our behalf, but he ascended. And then it says, this Jesus is the Son of God, in that verse. All of these sort of adding weight to the greatness of this high priest. What is that Son of God sort of title? Well, it goes back to Hebrews chapter 1. I just want to remind you of what that says. It expresses something about him. Hebrews 1 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, his son, the son of God, whom he appointed heir of all things. In other words, he's going to rule over it all. And through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of, in heaven. What's his point? What's his point in verse 14 where it says, we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God. What's his point? He's defining greatness. He's defining greatness. Now, let me just help you kind of think about that just for a second. I'm going to use a sports analogy, okay? Who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan, I heard. That's the first one. LeBron James often comes out, right? I mean, it's so interesting to me. You can get in this debate, right? You start talking about who is the greatest winner. Well, a lot of people want to say Michael Jordan, but Bill Russell had 11 championships, friends. I mean, what about Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time? Or, you know, we get into this conversation, we start talking about aspects of greatness, (laughs) right? Right? But who is the greatest? Well, it kind of devolves into there's great amongst great. But let me tell you what, the writer of Hebrews doesn't do that. He's saying Jesus is great in every way. There is none like him. He is the epitome of high priesthood. He is beyond, he's in a category all by himself. There is no other name in heaven and on earth who is greater. He is the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the the end. He is the greatest. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Do you hear me? We have a great high priest, one who is ascended into heaven, it is seated, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's actually mediating on our behalf. And we can go to him directly. He is great, he is superior. Not only is he great because we can go to him He is great because he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, I I kind of landed on that verse this week and I was thinking about that. I have been tempted in lots of ways. I have struggled in in lots of different things. I've been tested in lots of ways. And it says in every way that I've been tempted, Jesus has actually been tempted. Every way that I've been tested, Jesus has actually been tested. That's an incredible statement. Think about that. A few weeks ago, I actually had the opportunity to uh, have a front row seat to some of our first responders and some of our emergency workers at Grundy County Hospital. And and I got to see them do some of their amazing work. It was a very challenging morning and I, I got a call early in the morning where four extended family members, three of whom were children, were tragically killed in a car accident. It was horrible. I was there simply to provide some care and encouragement uh, for the survivors. And people have asked me, they said, you know, how do you do that? How do you walk into those things? Well, first off, it's not about me, right? But this is something that I've come to believe because of this verse. I know that whatever I encounter, whatever pain people are suffering, God already knows. And he understands their pain. In fact, he's experienced the worst that human beings can face. He knows. He understands. Listen to Hebrews 2:16 to 18. This is a reminder. He says, "For surely is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants." In other words, he He helps us human beings for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted tested Think about this, or Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, listen to this, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Imagine, imagine the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus is about to be crucified. That's what this is picturing. And he's crying out to God. He said, God, please take this cup from me. But he doesn't escape. He doesn't run. He simply says, not my will, your will be done. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Listen to this. Whatever pain you bear... Whatever struggle you're going through, whatever anxiety or frustration or disappointment, God already knows. He actually understands. And to whatever depth you are experiencing it, he has already experienced it to that depth. So a question becomes, why would God allow suffering, right? And that's a huge question for all of us to think about. It's a very complex, complex question. It's, it's hard to answer. And, and all I can say is that we live in a fallen and broken world. But here's the deal. I know without a sh- with, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I, I know this, I would rather go through suffering with God than without him. If there is no God, there is no one who understands. And if there is no God, suffering is meaningless. But with God, there is one who knows and understands my pain. And in fact, he can help us in our time of need, he says. And at some level, he can actually redeem our suffering for good. For those who love him. We have a God who created the universe, who holds it together, has experienced the worst of our human existence. And he's ascended through the throne room of God. He knows your pain. He knows your loneliness. He knows your disappointment. He knows your grief. He knows your despair. Hold fast. Cling to Jesus. What does he say in verse 16? He says, let us then, since he knows, he knows what pain, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this. It doesn't say, let us approach his throne of judgment. It says, let us approach his throne of grace. 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 We should come quickly. We should come confidently. We should come. Why? Because we can receive mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is help in our messes. You ever made a few messes? I know I have. And he says, I want to help you in your mess. I want to help clean up your mess. That's mercy. But he also says, and you can find grace. What is grace? Well, grace is a multi-layered thing. Grace is first that just prevenient idea that the sun rises. I mean, the sun rose this morning. That's God's grace. Grace is also something more. It's like this this embracing love, this idea of acceptance that that he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to welcome you as a son or daughter. But it's even more than that. It is a transformative thing. It is this idea that I can actually be forgiven, that I can actually be healed and set free, that I can actually live a new kind of life because he's changing me and transforming me. You know, here's the funny thing. I, I was just sharing with a group of guys this week who have, have really served as encouragement and accountability for me, and I was saying, you know what, I'm really trying to live out this verse I'm trying to think about it. I, I just want to come quickly. Why is it so often that, that I, when I'm messed up or I'm anxious or I, I don't know, whatever it is, I forget. I forget that God actually cares. That I can actually go to him. Sometimes we get distracted. We fall victim to doubt or fear or misunderstanding or self-centeredness. Or we think... The idea is that I have to solve my own problem or I'm willing to, I would just want to escape and I find that those avenues of escape are really just a spiral downward. It's not really the solution. The writer of Hebrews says this, he calls us back. He says, remember, fix your eyes, draw near, come to Jesus, the author and perfecter of life. He wants to help you in your time of need. Friends, I just want to invite you to pray with me. And if you'd like, uh, you, you might want to put your hands out in front and just be open. It's like, it's like a physical representation of, of a, an inward reality that you're open to what God would have to give for you this morning. Let me pray. God, we give thanks. We give thanks for who you are, the fact that we can go directly to you and you are our advocate before the Father. We give thanks that you understand our struggles, our anxiety, our fear, our loneliness, our pain, our suffering. God, we come to you and we want to come this morning because many of us have made decisions that have affected our own lives and affected the people that we love we need help God some of us are afraid because we have to go to work tomorrow and even that creates anxiety or some of us Lord are may- facing decisions that we need to make and God we need your help we need you your clarity your wisdom your truth God whatever it is we stand in need of today God we receive your grace, and your mercy. And we thank you for your love for us. Lord, help us to trust you day by day and to choose to live with you and for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.